in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study from Psalm 35. We will start from verse 17. David in this psalm actually speaks about his persecutors. And in the first 16 verses from this psalm, he actually complained about how his persecutors persecuted him using three types of persecution. Number one, conspiracies. Number two, false witnesses. Number three, physical pain. And when we study, we are not speaking about David here. But we are speaking about two things, actually. Number one, David as a symbol of Christ. And we can apply these three types of persecutions on Christ. Conspiracy, false witnesses, and physical being. And also, since we are the church, the Christian, the body of Christ, we also suffer persecution, again, in these three forms. The number one, again, conspiracies. Number two, false witnesses. And number three, uh, physical people. From verse 17, he starts praying, asking God to intervene. From 17 to the end of the psalm, verse 28, so it is his prayer to the Lord to intervene, to vindicate his children, to vindicate the righteous. So in verse 17 he says, Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lions. And again, when we read any verse, I don't want you to think about David only, but you need to think about prophecy about Jesus Christ, so as if the Lord is speaking here. How long you will look on, will you look on, rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lines. Also, think about the church in general, the persecuted church on earth. And also, we can apply it as individuals. Each one actually can apply this as individual. And who is the persecutor here? Satan. Satan persecutes me. He wants me to fall in sin. He wants me to fall in lust. He wants me to be drifted away from God. So, when we are praying, I am praying, asking God, Lord, how long will you look on me? How long? will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. Rescue me from the traps of Satan. Rescue my precious life from the lions. Satan here and the demons are like lions. So, having thus exposed all his persecutors, David now in the person of all the just who suffer persecution, return to prayer. 
and thereby connects the end with the beginning of the psalm. Because at the beginning of the psalm, he said, plead my cause, O Lord. The word, how long, as we read it in verse 17, Lord, how long will you look on? How long, actually, it's a common cry of sufferers. Mentioned several times in uh, the Bible, Job 19, Psalm 6, Psalm 13, Psalm 79, Psalm 89, Habakkuk 1, Revelation verse, uh, chapter 6. So how long is the cry of the sufferers? St. Augustine says, for to us, the time is slow. That's why we say how long. But our judge, not from weariness, but from love, delays our salvation. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is giving opportunity to the persecutors to repent and return back to him. As if David is asking God, when will you prove to us that you see their wickedness by punishing it? As God, when he neglects to punish the wicked, if we use the word neglect, this would seem to overlook them entirely, as if God is overlooking them entirely. So David here speaks honestly before God, admitting that he felt God was passive, unconcerned, indifferent. Many times, actually, we have the same feeling when we are in difficulty or trouble. We feel, where is God? How long you leave me like this? Why you are passive? Why you are not concerned? Why you are indifferent? Definitely, God is not like this. So he begged God for rescue in his distress, which was so bad that he felt like lions were after him. When he said, save my or rescue my precious life from lions, he said, my enemies are like lions. They are violent, crafty, shrewd, strong as long, uh, young lions. And only God can deliver us from their jaws. St. Augustine applied the expression, my precious life, to the church, the precious life of the church. So Christ is praying that the precious life of the church will be delivered from the persecutors of the church. Verse 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. So David vowed that he would give God the glory for his deliverance and will do so publicly. And and here David usually, while he is crying to God, he pause and give thanks to God. And this actually, to give God glory, I will give you thanks in great assembly. He mentioned it before in verse 9 and 10. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him? 
Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. So this promise that he mentioned in verse 9 and 10, he's repeating it again in verse 18. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. But for David, this is conditional on deliverance being granted. Should he be delivered from his enemies, he promises he will not be ungrateful to God. So this was his resolution, the resolution that he came to. He would give God thanks in the most public manner. He will not be silent, but will express his gratitude and joy before the whole congregation. Verse 19, let them not rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye, who hate me without a cause. So David continued his prayer, asking God to defend him before his enemies. He begs to be delivered from his persecutors, especially from the hypocrites who pretended to be his friends while they were quite the reverse. Uh, That's why he said, let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies. Wrongfully my enemies means they are my enemies for false reasons, for unjust cause. Wrongfully my enemies. I don't know why they became my enemy. I didn't do anything for them, for just false reasons. David feels that no one had any reason to hate him, since he had always sought the good of all with whom he he came into contact. So his prayers here is simply a request that justice might be done. Then he said, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. Wink with the eye. St. Augustine asked, what is the meaning of winking with the eyes? St. Augustine answers, expressing through their eyes, so these people expressing through the winking something very different from what they have in their hearts. Usually when you wink, you have something in your heart totally different than what you are expressing. So this winking of the eye is a sign that a person has tricked someone. They tricked David. It also shows an arrogant satisfaction that one has defeated someone else. David doesn't want them bragging in victory bragging as if they have won. No, they did not win. That's why in verse 20 he said, For they, my enemies, do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land. They don't speak peace. They devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land. They are unwilling 
to be on good terms with others or to live in peace with them. His enemies, though they made him a fugitive and a wanderer, were not satisfied. They still don't speak peace. They continue to conspire against David. They use not only violence, but deceit, lies against David and against his group, the quiet ones, who desire to live quietly and peaceably. He called his group or his friends the quiet ones in the land. David prayed for vindication against his enemies because they plotted against God's humble, simple people, the quiet ones in the lands. Usually ungodly people don't have peace. So how can they speak it? As the Lord Jesus Christ said, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So we don't expect ungodly men to be able to speak peace. Verse 21. They also opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. Opened their mouth wide to devour him. This metaphor is taken from wild beasts. When the beasts come within the reach of their prey, they open their mouth wide to devour the prey. Open their mouth wide means they poured out great lies that needed white mouth. And they said, aha, aha, and said, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. Aha, aha is expression of joy, triumph. They began openly to insult him and to congratulate each other that they destroyed him. This was all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said in the beginning, when you, you, you read this psalm, think about Jesus Christ, think about the church, and think about each one of us individually in our spiritual warfare. Uh, the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ addressed him in a flattering matter, manner, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth. But they were lying to him, because after this we read, at the very time they were planning to entangle him in his talk. That's actually Matthew 22, verse 15, and the other one, 22, verse 16. So their intention to entangle him in his talk, then they made a trap. They told him, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. That's how they opened their mouth widely to catch him. Also on the cross, when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ nailed on the cross, we read in Matthew 27, those who passed by blasphemed him waving their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Verse 22. 
This you have seen, O Lord. In verse 21, they said, Our eyes have seen it, have seen the destruction of David or the, the righteous. But in reality, God is the one who sees the truth. So David, he told them, they claim they have seen it. But this you have seen, O Lord. Please don't keep silence. Don't keep silence, O Lord. Don't be far from me. So David continued his play and prayer to God, repeating it over and over with a view to move God's affection. Don't be silent. You have seen it, O Lord. God is omniscient and sees all things. He sees all the evil that the wicked men do to us. God sees all the insults, mockeries, hurts they did to David and they do to the church, and he will avenge them in his own time according to his economy. David is pleading that God hears his prayer. Don't be far from me. Don't withdraw your favor and help from me. He's asking God to draw near, hasten and vindicate his name. Verse 23, stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. So David calling on God to awake. Not so as God was really asleep, definitely not. But as a sort of stirring appeal to God to arise and manifest himself, to judge and to acquit him, to condemn his enemies. David was so confident that he was on God's side in his contention with his enemies. Yet he longed for God to actively vindicate him. He is asking God to prove that he is not uncaring witness to all this humiliation. You have seen my humiliation. I know you are caring God. You are my God, my Lord. So the manner of his appeal shows the strong confidence he had in his own innocence. I didn't do anything for them. So I am appealing, I'm asking you to vindicate my cause. That's why in verse 24 he said, Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. According to, your, according to what you see right. And let them not rejoice over me. Let them not rejoice over me. According to your righteousness. Let your law of righteousness be the rule by which I am judged and also my enemies be judged. Because the righteousness of God is the highest standard of equity and justice. The righteousness of God is the highest standard of equity and justice. David's appeal is here repeated in verse 24. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your uh, righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. let them, verse 19, he said, let them not rejoice over me. And he repeated again in 24, let them not rejoice over me. 
he feels that the joy of his accusers will not last long as soon as fair justice rules. Once God applies the law of righteousness, they will not rejoice over him. Verse 25. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so we would have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. So, let them not feel that they have triumphed over me. Let them not come off victorious in doing wrong. Uh, When they say, we would have it. We would have our desire to destroy him. Let them not say this. And let them not say, we have swallowed him up. As roaring lions swallow down their prey, to which he had compared himself in verse 17, when he said, deliver my precious life from the lions. So don't let these lions to say that they swallowed me. If we apply this verse to Christ, who have swallowed him up. So death could have said that he swallowed Jesus. But uh, they did not know the Jews and Pontius Pilate and the Romans. They did not perceive that Jesus accepted death by his own authority to save his believers. So, death swallowed the righteous. Then Jesus came and accepted death unto himself in order actually to deliver the righteous from the mouth of death. So, they cannot say death swallowed Jesus. No, death cannot swallow Jesus. Jesus accepted death by his own will and his authority alone to deliver those from the mouth of death. Written beautifully by Isaac of Syria, he said, Death like a wolf swallowed the Lord Christ the Lamb, but his stomach, the stomach of death, not enduring his presence, not enduring the presence of Christ inside death, exploded. And he, Jesus, came out together with the believers, by his resurrection, neither the grave, nor the whole world, or even Hades, could swallow us. Beautiful writ. So, uh, Isaac of Syria, he said, death is like a wolf. Try to actually swallow the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb. But once Jesus died, the stomach of death exploded could not endure the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the stomach of death is exploded, Jesus came with all those who were swallowed by death from Hades. And by his resurrection, neither grave, nor the whole world, nor Hades could swallow us. Verse 26. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor 
who exalt themselves against me. So David simply and powerfully asked God to be his defense before his enemies. He is praying that God let them be clothed with shame and dishonor, those who magnified themselves against David, who exalt themselves against me, meaning to make themselves great by humbling and destroying him. Some people actually, they feel great when they put others down. They hope to rise on his destruction. So some people want to be exalted by our destruction. When David's enemies are ashamed and brought to mutual confusion, what will happen to his friends? His friends will naturally shout for joy and be glad. So with this happening, that his enemies are ashamed and brought into mutual confusion, what will happen? Verse 27, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So when God actually vindicates his children, the righteous will rejoice and will be glad. Uh, So David is asking God to let him be delivered and let his friends see that God is on his side, so they have occasion to rejoice. Uh, His friends, he called them, who favor my righteous cause. Who favor my righteous cause. The reference is to those who considered his cause a just one, and who were truly his friends. And I want to make clear here, that the psalmist is joyful in God because of his own deliverance, not because of the destruction of others. He wants others also to be saved. So this joy, because of his deliverance, not because of the destruction of others. We don't rejoice over the destruction of others. And they say, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God has pleasure in the prosperity of us, his children. Let the Lord be magnified, let him be exalted, praised for his righteousness, for his truth, for his goodness, that's manifested in delivering uh, the poor, or the needy, or the righteous. God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God delights to make his children prosperous and happy. God wants us to be prosperous and happy. So David is saying, let them see that this is the character of God. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be prosperous. Let them thus be led to rejoice in God evermore when they see God has pleasure in our prosperity. Then last verse, 28. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. All the day long. So David finished the psalm in thanksgiving to God 
for all his favors. David will continually be offering gratitude and thankfulness. As he said, all day long, all day long means all my life, every day and all the day. So David will continually be offering gratitude and thankfulness. He will not merely return thanks publicly once for all. So he will not one time publicly he will give praise to God in the great congregation. No, but he will continue to praise God always. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness. My tongue will be employed in declaring your righteousness. So, which again, David repeats by saying he will spend all day long in doing so. That means frequently, repeatedly, all his life, not only once, but all his life, every day and all the day, he will praise the Lord. St. Augustine remarks on this passage that he is always praising God, who is always doing What's right? So uh, we should praise God always because God always doing what's right. David spoke much of his own need and trouble in this psalm. But he ended the psalm with a strong focus on God and on his praise. That's actually the custom in most of David's psalm. He start asking God, pleading with God, uh, crying for help. But usually he concludes his psalms with a strong focus on God and his praise. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.